Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome to Tech's second quarter 2021 earnings release conference call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session. This conference call is being recorded on Tuesday, July 27, 2021. I would now like to turn the conference call over to Fraser Phillips, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations and Strategic Analysis. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks very much, Lori. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us for Tech's second quarter 2021 call. Uh, before we begin, I would like to draw your attention to the caution regarding forward-looking statements that's on slide two. This presentation contains forward-looking statements regarding our business. This slide describes the assumptions underlying those statements. Various risks and uncertainties may cause actual results to vary. Tech does not assume the obligation to update any forward-looking statement. I'd also like to point out that we use various non-GAAP measures in this presentation. You can find explanations and reconciliations regarding these measures in the appendix. With that, I will turn the call over to Don Lindsay, our President and CEO. Well, thank you, Fraser, and good morning, everyone. I will begin on slide three with our second quarter highlights, followed by Jonathan Price, our CFO, who will provide additional color on our financial results. And we'll then conclude with a Q&A session where Jonathan and Myself and several additional members of our senior team uh, will be happy to answer any questions. So, solid performance at our operations and our priority projects against the backdrop of improving market conditions made for a very positive second quarter of 2021. At our QB2 project, we had our best quarterly progress to date, and this is despite the largest COVID-19 case surge so far in Chile. Let me review a few numbers just to describe how it was. During the second quarter, the number of COVID-19 cases skyrocketed to a high of around 8,900 per day in Chile. Thankfully, recently the number of cases has declined, is now averaging about 1,500 per day. Critical care bed occupancy is still high though at 88%, but it is down from the peak of 99%. And in the Terrapaca region where QB2 is located, that number is 49%. And there is currently a daily average of 30 cases compared with a high of 251. Chile has done a very commendable job with their vaccination program. Of its total population of 19 million people, around 85% have had their first dose and 74% have had their second dose. And at QB2 itself, more than 60% of the project workforce is fully vaccinated with over 80% of the workers having received at least one dose. The most recent wave of the pandemic has had a much larger impact on QB2 than the first wave. When construction restarted last year following the temporary suspension, we had nowhere near the challenges that we have had in these past three months. All of the restrictions, protocols, and testing that have been so important in the prevention of the spread of COVID-19 are also a large burden that has put the QB2 team to the test. But our team has risen to that challenge. The substantial progress in the second quarter has been hard won and is remarkable under these challenging conditions. 
just a bit more color on, on what it's like for, for those of you who may be sitting in an investment center, perhaps in New York where it's wide open. What we're, what we're dealing with now is when an individual has symptoms that are taken off their project and they're taken to hotels on the coast where we've secured them permanently for quarantine purposes. They are PCR tested. The results are returned in about four days. They are then contact traced and the contact individuals are also taken off the project and put in quarantine hotels. And they are PCR tested. If they test negative, they're returned to work. If they test positive, they quarantine for 14 days. At the peak in Q2, we had 350 individuals in quarantine and monthly averages were very high. So you can imagine what that does to your crew consistency, to your productivity and the construction weekly plans, especially when the affected individuals are mission critical people like supervisors or crane operators or welders. And then you combine that with absenteeism running at 12% during the quarter. It is a huge challenge. And so that is why we are immensely proud of the progress that we made during that quarter. And now we are very excited because just in the last couple of weeks, we've now got things down to just about three active cases and we are able, already putting three people to a room and increasing the resources on site and finally getting a chance to go to full strength. So this will be a tale of two projects, the project up to date, heavily influenced by COVID, and we hope for the next 12 months, an entirely different project where we can make full progress. We continue to expect first production of QB2 in the second half of 2022, which is next year. And QB2 is expected to double our consolidated copper production by 2023. At the same time, our Neptune facility upgrade is ramping up to full capacity across the site. The equipment there is performing according to, or better than plan, I was there a week before last. It is exciting to see. And this upgrade is a key component of securing a long-term, low-cost, much, much lower cost, and reliable supply chain for our steel-making coal business. We saw a significant improvement in our financial results in the second quarter, reflecting spot price increases in all of our key commodities. Adjusted EBITDA was up 104% compared with Q2 last year. Our operations performed well during the second quarter. Production was in line with plan across our business units, and we met our quarterly sales guidance in steel making coal and in zinc. At the very end of the quarter, though, our rail logistics were impacted by the wildfires in British Columbia. And the situation remains very difficult, and the provincial government declared a state of emergency last week. We extend our deepest condolences to all those who have been directly affected. While the wildfires did not impact our second quarter results, they are currently impacting transportation at our operations in BC. Rail services have been disrupted, which is expected to negatively impact our steelmaking coal business. Our third quarter steelmaking coal sales are now expected to be reduced by 500,000 to 800,000 tons with guidance revised to 5.7 to 6.1 million tons for the quarter. Our annual production guidance has that range has been lowered by 500,000 tons to between 25 and 26 million tons. And we have increased our annual transportation cost guidance range by $3 Canadian per ton to $39 to $42 per ton. And I think it's important to view that increase in context and in our transportation costs as a result of the wildfires within the context of current steel making coal prices, 
while we're raising our, our cost guidance range by $3 Canadian, the Australian FOB price during the quarter rose by $100 US. So that's just a little bit of context for you. And it is due to the wildfires, the cost increase. We do have contracts in place to ship through all three West Coast ports, and that gives us the flexibility to divert some trains and vessels to Ridley Terminals, which is clearly very economic for us. At the same time, like others in the industry, we are seeing signs of cost inflation across the business more generally. We have noted increases in the cost of certain key supplies, including mining equipment, fuel, tires, and explosives, driven largely by price increases for underlying commodities such as steel, crude oil, and natural gas. For our operations, the largest impact is on our fuel costs. While the impact on our second quarter results was slight as we delivered an adjusted EBITDA margin of 39%, we expect these price increases to put modest upward pressure on our cash unit costs in the second half of the year. Despite this, we have not changed our guidance for full year total cash unit costs in copper and zinc and adjusted site cash costs of sales in steel making coal. And we have lowered our guidance for full year net cash unit costs in zinc. Finally, we were very proud to be named to the best 50 corporate citizens in Canada, which is the 15th consecutive year that we have been ranked as one of the top 50 companies in Canada for corporate citizenship. Now, turning to an overview of our second quarter 2021 financial results on slide four, our financial results are significantly improved compared to Q2 last year, supported by improved commodity prices. Copper prices reached all-time record highs in the quarter, with average prices 81% higher than in Q2 last year. Our realized steel making coal prices benefited from around 2 million tons of sales to customers in China that were priced at premium CFR China prices. Revenues were up by almost 50% from a year ago to 2.6 billion. Profitability improved even more with adjusted EBITDA increasing 104% to 989 million and bottom line adjusted profit attributable to shareholders increased 281% to 339 million, which is 63 cents per share on a diluted basis. And Jonathan will review our financial results in more detail in a few minutes. I'll now run through some second quarter highlights by business units, starting with copper on slide five. Our copper business unit had a strong Q2 with a 385% increase in EBITDA compared to the same period last year driven by substantially higher copper prices. Production was higher than in the same period last year when Antamina had temporarily suspended operations due to COVID-19. Total cash unit costs were $1.80 US per pound, which was 23 cents per pound higher than a year ago. But the increase in costs is primarily due to higher workers' participation and royalty expense resulting from increased profitability at Antamina and this had a 20 cents US per pound impact compared to a year ago, as well as higher consumables costs and the strengthening of the Canadian dollar. Despite those cost pressures, we delivered an adjusted EBITDA margin for the copper business unit of 67%. We've maintained our annual production operating cost guidance in copper. Turning to an update on our QB2 project on slide six, as I mentioned earlier, the project has continued to effectively advance construction with the best quarter of progress to date, despite the significant ongoing wave of COVID-19 in Chile. 
We continue to maintain and enhance our extensive COVID-19 protocols in order to protect the health and safety of our workers and the communities in which we operate. Pre-screening and on-site testing have been key to our success in managing COVID. And in fact, we have screened out 1,300 positive cases, more than 1,300 positive cases that otherwise would have gone to site. Additionally, in coordination with the government, we've successfully rolled out a vaccination campaign for our workers right on site. With COVID-19 cases in Chile declining, coupled with the country's and the project workforce's high rates of vaccination, we are aggressively ramping up towards peak workforce levels. The critical path, which is the grinding circuit, remains on plan, and we are still on track for first production in the second half of next year. And based on the solid pace of construction through that last quarter, we expect to achieve 60% overall completion in early August, so either next week or very early part of the week after. Our capital cost estimate remains at $5.26 billion, including contingency and escalation. And our estimate for COVID-19 capital impacts, which are tracked separately, has been updated to $600 million U.S. as a result of the forecasted impacts of the second wave of COVID-19. Slide 7 provides an aerial view of the concentrator area where we are making strong weekly construction progress. The grinding lines, shown in the background, currently remain the critical or the longest path for the project, and we have made significant progress here with all six mills now in place. And behind that, you can see the tower for the coarse ore stacker that has been erected where the stockpile dome will go up. And we continue to advance the structural steel of the grinding building and the mechanical installation of the stage flotation reactor cells, which you can see in the middle left of the photo in green, just to the left of the 14 large 650 cubic meter flotation cells in blue. In the foreground, you can see where we've advanced construction and mechanical installation of the copper and bulk concentrator thickeners and the regrinding facilities. And lastly, in the middle right, you can see the advanced stage of the on-site power substation. Slide 8 shows the starter dam of the tailings management facility, where we have raised the dam elevation significantly in the quarter. We are continuing to utilize the tech mine fleet and some of our new fleet of CAT 794s, which are performing well. Slide 9 shows our progress in advancing the jetty from the onshore workfront, and we have two additional offshore workfronts now to advance the jetty from a jack-up barge in Temporary Island, where we've commenced pile driving. As the pipeline right-of-way and platform development is now effectively complete, we are focused on advancing the pipe stringing, welding placement, and backfill. And slide 9 shows the pipeline trench with the welded water pipe on the right and the string concentrate pipeline on the left, ready for welding in the back right. Now you'll see our port workings. To see more of the latest progress on QB2, I encourage you to watch a video of the project and view our latest quarterly photo gallery which we have posted with our quarterly conference call materials in the investors section of tech.com. And you will find links to them in our Q2 press release. Next, our zinc business unit results for the second quarter are summarized on slide 11. And as a reminder, Antimina zinc related financial results are reported in our copper business unit. Red Dog has strong performance in the quarter, with production increasing by 67% compared with the same period last year. And as we had previously flagged, lower 2020 production volumes at Red Dog resulted in lower material available for 20 for sale 
and higher unit cash costs of sale for zinc mining operations in the first half of this year. But we are now through that. Red Dog sales of zinc and concentrate were 39,000 tons, which was in line with our guidance. And total cash unit costs of 61 cents US per pound reflect higher treatment charges and the higher cost of inventory for sale related to the lower 2020 production volumes. And trail was impacted longer than planned annual zinc roaster maintenance, which is now behind us. Looking forward, Red Dog shipping season commenced on July 19th, and our Q3 sales guidance for Red Dog zinc and concentrate is 180,000 to 200,000 tons. For 2021, we expect higher production at Red Dog, We've increased our full-year zinc and concentrate production guidance range by 20,000 tons to 605,000 to 630,000 tons. And we've lowered our full-year net cash unit cost guidance range by 5 cents per pound to 35 to 40 cents U.S. per pound. We've also lowered our full-year refined zinc production guidance range for trail by 10,000 tons to 290 to 300,000 tons due to lower availability of quality zinc concentrate feed sources and the longer than planned roaster maintenance shutdown during the quarter. Turning to our steel making coal business on slide 12. And if you could all remain on mute, that'd be appreciated. In the, in the second quarter, sales were 6.2 million tons in line with our guidance range and our average realized price includes around 2 million tons of sales to Chinese customers, similar to the first quarter at high CFR China prices. And just as a reminder, the CFR China prices are around $314, $315 a ton. And our LPO operations set a new all-time quarterly production record, thanks to the expansion that we did last year. Adjusted site cash cost of sales were $64 Canadian per tonne, which was at the high end of our guidance range as anticipated, and $4 Canadian per tonne lower than a year ago. Our transportation costs of $42 Canadian per tonne were above our four-year guidance range, which was expected and higher than a year ago as a result of higher fuel surcharges and tariffs. And as I mentioned earlier, wildfires are currently impacting our operations in BC. Rail services have been disrupted, which is expected to negatively impact our third quarter sales volumes and our annual production volumes and annual transportation costs in steelmaking coal. Our third quarter steelmaking coal sales are now expected to be reduced by 500 to 800,000 tons, and we expect 5.7 to 6.1 million tons of sales in the third quarter. We will continue to prioritize available spot sales volumes to China, which is expected to continue to result in favorable price realizations. We continue to target 7.5 million tons of sales to China in 2021, and that is unchanged from previous guidance. Our annual production guidance range has been lowered by 500,000 tons to 25 to 26 million tons. And we have increased our annual transportation cost guidance range by $3 Canadian per ton to between $39 and $42. Again, it is important to view this cost increase in the context of current steelmaking coal prices, which have risen by $100 during the quarter. We have not increased our adjusted site cash cost of sales guidance for the full year. However, 
upward pressure on input costs due to cost inflation and the impact of the BC wildfires are expected to result in costs coming in at the higher end of the range. In the second quarter, our steelmaking coal business unit delivered an adjusted EBITDA margin of 41%. And in the third quarter, we expect our financial performance to reflect the sharp increase in prices that occurred in the latter half of Q2. Slide 13, as I indicated earlier, our Neptune port project is in the ramp up phase. And since the first steel making coal was unloaded using a new double rail car dumper on April 19th, we're continued on fully commissioning the double dumper and then moved on to the tight wide ramp up. August and September are anticipated to be big months for train handling and vessel loading. We are seeing excellent train handling times at Neptune with the combination of the double and single dumper, indicating that the terminal will be capable of processing in excess of 18.5 million tons per annum. Terminal throughput pause for the first two weeks of July as a result of the rail disruption due to wildfires. This should not affect the site-wide ramp up and the pause gave us the opportunity to complete preventative maintenance. Slide 14 shows a photo of the new indexer for the double dumper, which is used to position and advance trains in the dumper. And you can see the drive system and the arm that comes down between the cars, which is world-class technology. Slide 15 shows the largest cape-sized vessel ever loaded at Neptune Terminal, which is 300 meters long and loads up to 200,000 tons. And a bunch of us went to see it and climb up on it and watch the loading. It was very exciting. We're really pleased to see the project move into the site-wide ramp-up phase as Neptune is a key component of our long-term, low-cost and reliable supply chain for our steel-making coal business. And to see more of the latest progress at our Neptune upgrade project, we have posted our latest quarterly photo gallery with our quarterly conference call materials in the investors section of tech.com with a link to it in our C2 press release. Turning to our energy business unit results for the second quarter, which are summarized on slide 16. Our realized price and results reflect a material improvement in Western Canadian select prices compared with Q2 last year. However, this was partially offset by higher unit operating costs and lower production due to operational issues in the mine. There has been a slower than planned ramp up of contract overburden stripping, as well as challenges around managing groundwater inflow from deep subsurface aquifers. And subsequent to the end of the quarter in July, we encountered additional challenges that will require mining a shallower mine slope than planned, resulting in lost ore and the need for additional overburden stripping. The ramp up to two train operation has therefore been delayed until 2022. As a result of the operational issues and the mining challenges, we have lowered our 2021 production guidance range by two to four million barrels to 6.8 to 8.1 million barrels for the year. We've also increased our 2021 adjusted operating cost guidance range by $12 Canadian per barrel to 40 to $44 per barrel. And with that, I will pass over to Jonathan for some comments on our financial results. Thanks, Don. I will start by addressing the details of the second quarter's earnings adjustments on slide 17. The most significant adjustment is a 44 million in environmental costs on an after-tax basis. This primarily relates to a decrease in the rates used to discount our decommissioning and restoration provisions for closed operations 
due to a tightening of our credit spreads. Share-based compensation expense was 24 million in the quarter and commodity derivatives were 20 million. After these and other minor adjustments, bottom line adjusted profit attributable to shareholders was 339 million in the quarter, which is 63 cents per share on a diluted basis. Now the changes in our cash position during the second quarter are on slide 18. We generated 575 million in cash flow from operations, which is a significant increase compared with 300 million a year ago, reflecting higher commodity prices. We spent 1 billion on sustaining and growth capital, including 666 million on QB2, 138 million on the Neptune port upgrade project, and 203 million in sustaining capital. Capitalized stripping was 175 million, primarily related to the advancement of pits for future production at our steelmaking coal operations. This was higher than a year ago, primarily due to decreased stripping activities in Q2 2020 as a result of COVID-19. Debt proceeds, net of repayments, on our US 2.5 billion project financing facility for QB2 were 272 million in the quarter. And we also drew a net 337 million on our US 4 billion revolving credit facility. We paid 77 million in interest and finance charges and 26 million in respect of our regular quarterly based dividend of five cents per share. After these and other minor items, we ended the quarter with cash and short-term investments of 312 million. And now turning to our financial position on slide 19. We've maintained our strong financial position with current liquidity of Canadian $6.1 billion, including our current cash and the amounts available on our US $5 billion of committed revolving credit facilities. US $3.5 billion is available on our US $4 billion facility that matures in Q4 2024, and our US $1 billion sidecar that matures in Q2 2022 remains undrawn. Both facilities do not have any earnings or cash flow based financial covenants, do not include a credit rating trigger, and do not include a general material adverse effect borrowing condition. In fact, the only financial covenant is a net debt to capitalization ratio that cannot exceed 60%, and at June 30th, that ratio was 27%. Of our US 2.5 billion limited recourse project financing facility for the QB2 project, we have drawn US 1.8 billion as at June 30th, of which US 224 million was drawn in the second quarter. Antimina entered into a new US 1 billion term loan agreement in July, of which our 22.5% share would be US 225 million if fully drawn. The loan is non recourse to us and matures in July 2026. We have no significant note maturities prior to 2030 and investment grade credit ratings from all four credit rating agencies. Importantly, we have significant potential for EBITDA generation from current steelmaking coal prices. Every US $50 per ton increase in the quarterly index lagged by one month is estimated to increase our annualized EBITDA by almost Canadian $1.5 billion. With that, I will pass it back to Don for closing comments. Thanks, Jonathan. In closing, we remain focused on our copper growth strategy 
and on delivering strong operating results and strong free cash flow in the current favorable commodity price environment. We believe tech is one of the best positioned companies globally to capitalize on the strong demand growth we see for copper with one of the very best copper production growth profiles in the industry. Accelerating copper growth is the cornerstone of our strategy. In the process, we expect to continue to reduce carbon as a proportion of our total business while continuing to produce the high-quality steelmaking coal required for the low-carbon transition. We're also continuing to strengthen our existing high-quality, low-carbon assets through our Race 21 Technology and Innovation Program, which is harnessing cutting-edge technologies to drive a step change improvements in productivity, efficiency, safety, and sustainability. And at the same time, we strive to maintain the highest standards of sustainability and safety and operational excellence in everything we do. And we have a leadership team with the right mix of skills and experience to deliver on our strategy. And with that, we'd be happy to answer your questions. Like many of you, most of us are on phone lines uh, from home or other locations. So please bear with us if there is a delay while we sort out who will answer your questions. With that, operator, over to you. Thank you, Mr. Lindsay. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while the participants register for questions. Thank you for your patience. And the first question is from Orest Walkuda from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi, good morning. Um, nice to see the, the solid progress at QB2. I, I was just curious. Um, can, did I hear correctly that you're now able to take the headcount up from 10,000 approximately up to the planned 12,000? And then I'm, I'm wondering if that is the case, how we should think about the COVID-related escalation costs at QB2. I mean, they were 150 million higher this quarter. Is that, I'm just wondering if we should anticipate those coming down materially. Um, any color would be very helpful. Okay, thank you, Orson. I see you've done it again, getting first in line, well done. Uh, so uh, the first part of your question, the answer is yes, that's true, but I'm going to turn it over to Red Conger for details. Red, over to you. Good morning, Oris. Appreciate the question. We are absolutely aggressively uh, increasing the, the head count at site. Uh, we're going to three to a room, as, as Don had mentioned, so that had been a constraint up until now. And as as we're able to change the the work rules associated with all of that, the protocols, et cetera, we, we're going to have less and less effect from the, the pandemic that you know that you saw in the second quarter. So you know the the better we can manage all of that, and, and you know the higher vaccination rates, et cetera, then you know then the less additional. COVID expenses we will have. So we're very optimistic that we've seen the, the peak of, of those uh, protocols that we've, that we've had to take that have affected, you know, cost and productivity. And, you know, just to add one thing to Don's comments earlier, he showed a picture of, of the pipelines, uh, the small one for the concentrate, the big one for the water, one, one of the things that our team has done to keep us on schedule during this unprecedented second quarter that we just came through, we've it, when when people report off and we have those problems that Don described, we reconstitute the crews to 
keep working on the most critical items. And so in that particular photo, the most critical item is the water pipe, not the concentrate pipe. We, we've got to get the water pipe complete so we can do commissioning, hydro testing, et cetera, and, and we can finish the concentrate pipeline later. So that, that's just one example of how our team has flexed and, and responded during this and, and now with more headcount on site, more consistent work crews, et cetera, we can do that work in parallel again we had originally planned to do. Thank, thanks, Red. Just to clarify, so are you allowed to take the headcount up to the, the maximum plan sort of peak levels now? Here's, here's the way we should think about it. Don mentioned you know, failed projects. So we, we are now setting up work plans for the, for the remainder of the construction that take into account all, all of the things that have changed since we made the plan just three or four short months ago. And, and so that, that plan will, will have the maximum employment levels possible that, that we can deploy uh, take advantage of every work front possible, and you know that that may be a slightly different headcount than what we had had cited earlier, and uh, with you know with good uh, effort and and uh, a little bit of luck, it, it could even be higher than what we had planned before. But it for sure it will be the maximum amount of people that we can deploy. Um, again, I'll just remind you some of the forward-looking things that, that the team has done. When when we added the the extra camp space, when when the pandemic first hit, that that now allows us to do some different things with three to a room. And and like I said, we're going to take full advantage of of all of that and be very creative with uh, with these work plans. Okay, and just. Finally, any guidance you can give us, Red, on sort of a run rate of COVID cost increases moving forward as you ramp up? Oris, what the forecast that we've provided you now is is our very best estimate of what we think it's going to be at completion. Oh, so that what that 150 is to completion. That's not just a catch up. No, we're the the, the forecast that we have given you. We, we believe will be the, the total cost at completion. Great. Thank you, Red. Thank you. The next question is from Matthew Murphy from Barclays. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi. Um, just to follow up on that last one, the um, $600 million, um, estimate, how much of that would have been realized to date, and how much are you leaving, um, you know, for the rest of the project? Yeah, Matthew, uh, the lion's share of that has not been incurred. So those those are our those are our estimates of of how this is this is going to be played out. Okay, okay, so yet mostly yet to be um, realized. Okay, and I'm just wondering when you talk about the sixty percent um, complete. That's physical progress, and from here on, I mean, how does the pace of the project compare to your original 
pre-COVID budget. Yeah, so it so that's total con, uh, progress for the entire project, the sixty percent number. So that includes engineering and 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 everything. And again, just to reiterate what Don said, the the pace of this will will be different here forward than it than it has been. So we we intend to increase the pace of construction completion. So you yeah. Yeah, and and a good example of that, Matthew, the you know the second quarter that we just completed was the best pace, uh, you know, project to date. That was our best quarter for construction completion to date, and and we intend to continue to beat those, you know. The, this third quarter that we're in now will be better than the second, and and we'll you know we'll get a peak here in the uh, fourth quarter, fourth quarter to early next year. Okay, thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Greg Barnes from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to go back to you again, Red. Just on the pace of completion, obviously, there's a critical point to get the project done by second half of next year. Just, you know, easy numbers, you have to achieve about three to three and a half percent completion rates per month uh, from August on. Does that sound about right? And I guess what was the number for Q2? Well, but here's but here's the way to think about it. What what we've been able to do is maintain the critical path through the grinding lines on schedule. So again, just using that same example I used on the two pipelines a minute ago, when when we had all of these report off issues, quarantine issues, uh, you know, critical personnel not present, uh, particularly in the last quarter, we we made sure that that we reconsisted, reconstituted crews to do everything possible on the critical paths. So those those that critical path through the grinding lines has maintained the schedule. And and so now when I you know when I mentioned increasing headcount, other you know, other work fronts that we can open up, et cetera, that, you know, that will be picking up those other pieces that that we, you know, very appropriately, you know, deprioritized, if you will, during during these challenges. So it's it's not just, you know, what is the percent complete, because like you said, that's kind of a mathematical thing. This this has all been very targeted at okay we're going to get the you know the first grinding line of the concentrator running in the second half and of 2022 and the second one right after that and that's that's the program that's that's how we're doing it and that that's why we're you know making such a big deal about keeping the critical path on schedule. Okay, so maybe maybe this is a bit unfair, Red, but. What is the target completion date for the first grinding line then? Second half of 2022. <laughs> <laughs> um, Don, can I switch back to you? Just 
the pace of inflation that you're seeing, cost inflation on consumables, reagents, equipment, from what you're seeing, is this cyclical or is it or is there a structural element to this going on? Uh, I would say it's cyclical. I mean, as I said in my comment, that there's, you know, the source of this is the underlying increase in different commodities that make up things. So steel and fuel oil, uh, of course, driven by by your your WTI price. Um, the, the the kind of cost that I would think of in the structural category might be, for example, if you had labor agreements that. Um, you know, were locked in for for several years at, at at numbers that were a dramatic change, and the good news is we've just settled at our two largest mines for six years, in in a reasonable range, higher than last time the the, the workers benefit, but um, you know in in a in a way that we think will be quite productive, and have stability for six years. So, um, yeah, the short answer I would say is cyclical. So you're not too concerned about 2022. I know it's early, but you're not too concerned about higher costs at this point next year. Uh, not really, because we'll still be benefiting from the investments that we made at LFU, shutting down Cardinal River. You know, Neptune will be running at uh, full capacity at that stage, which is a significant benefit. So those are uh, strong positives that that should help balance uh, the the you know increases in other inputs. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Lucas Heights from B. Riley Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hey, good morning, everyone. And uh, while it is tempting to continue to ask questions on QB2, I'll uh, I'll try to switch the topic. Um, first, uh, on, on, on MetCall, one, one uh, kind of shorter-term question, and then uh, my follow-up will be a longer-term one. But in the short term, when I when I look at your year-to-date production figures, sales figures, um, it, it it looks like a midpoint of guidance is baking in a, a ramp up in the second half of the year. And is is that a is that a kind of stretch goal given what's going on in the province, or or, or do you have a pretty good line of sight to 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 get to those levels? Uh, thank you very much for that. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm going to ask both Rail Foley and Robin Sharameta to to give answers to that. But the overview is you you have to take that into the context with what the the, the dramatic effect of the wildfires in the last uh, two or three weeks, and and um, you know that's a big factor, and we're not completely through that yet. So to anyone's guess when that that'll be past us. But um, uh, Robin, why don't you start? Sure, and uh, yeah, just to reiterate that, the wildfires are certainly causing us some uncertainty. I mean, on the bright side, as we came into this period, we actually had uh, considerable room at the sites. We Logistics was strong through the first half, so we were able to move most of our rock, or sorry, clean coal to port. So that gives us some flexibility to get through this period. We, we can't run as fast when we're running to ground. So as we stockpile, we have to slow production rates down a little bit. But, you know, the majority of our shutdowns are behind us now. There are, there's some left to go in Q3, but uh, we're well over half uh, done through the maintenance uh, process here through the first half. So we're in really good shape from an operational point of view. It's it's really just a matter of what kind of logistics constraints we see going forward now with rail. But we're in good shape to hit our new guidance range of 25 to 26. Thanks, Robin. And rail, do you want to add any market color for the second half of the year? Yeah, uh, happy to do that, Don. Uh, 
So, yeah, Lucas, we're continuing to see the, the market really strong, uh, whether it's demand in China, uh, and they, they have their own supply issues with both uh, domestic mines in Mongolia and uh, on markets outside of China, demand is extremely strong as well. Uh, steel prices are running at record levels. Uh, steel production, hot metal production is back to pre-pandemic levels. So we're continuing to see strong demand across the board for our products. Very, very helpful. Th thank you um, all for, for your perspectives. Uh, Don, my follow-up, I mentioned a, a longer-term question on the Medco market, and, and we, uh, in the past, it seemed like we, seems like a lifetime ago, we spent more time thinking about what, what, what is a, what is a reasonable Medco price? Um, and, and Don, as you kind of survey that market from both a supply and demand uh, vantage point, what, what, what's your view uh, today? Um, what is a reasonable price um, to underwrite? Uh, as you do your internal planning or or, or in conversations with investors. Uh, thank you very much for your perspective. Yeah, so uh, we always start and say, well, where has it been the last 10 or 12 years? And the average price um, is actually in the 17180 range, depending on whether you're using an inflation-adjusted number or not. Uh, you know, in today's uh, pricing terms, it would be 180. And then we say, well, what's going to happen in the next 10 years on supply and demand? And it's pretty clear that there are constraints on investment in new supply and not just, um, you know, uh, capital providers' willingness to provide capital, but also permitting issues. And we've seen it right here in Canada where recently um, uh, a project proposal, even though they, you know, they'd done all the hard work for six years and so on, but it was turned down. And we've seen the same in Australia as well. So I, I, I have a view that there'll be less supply but roughly the same demand. And the reason why uh, we say that is, uh, well, each of us has been bombarded in the last year or so with research reports two or three week on green steel and hydrogen-based technologies and so on. Um, it's pretty clear that it's going to take a long, long time for that to have a meaningful impact on the total volume of steel produced globally. And remember, it's about a 2 billion ton, uh, you know, um, market and the kind of uh, investment it would take to uh, to make a material impact on that size of industry is trillions of dollars and uh, we just don't think it's going to happen for quite a while so meanwhile our core customers in Japan and Korea and China and India um, are seeing strong demand uh, India's steel industry of course is is uh, planned by the government to, to uh, basically triple in the next 10 years. So um, we, we think that the outlook from a price point of view is actually quite strong. We've thankfully seen the recirculation um, in the market that, you know, we had the disruption between uh, China and Australia and, and, and that whole issue. And it took a while to, to sort that out in the global markets, but it seems to have done that now. So it's much more stable for an Aussie FOP price. And uh, I think we can, you know, collect the cash now and, and see some stability. Um, you know, there's always going to be volatility in commodity markets, and steel making coal is no exception. But for our planning purposes, uh, you know, we're we're at the higher numbers, and and um, uh, you know, we're we're not planning to grow our our steel making coal business either, right? So uh, uh, we don't see that happening at our major competitors. 
uh, and new projects are just difficult to permit. So I think supply is going to be tight. Hope that helps. Very helpful. Really appreciate it, and uh, best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Carlos de Alba from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, good morning, everyone. So on on uh, the coal production, you know, we heard about the temporary mining ban uh, this weekend in v in BC. So I wonder if that adds any additional incremental risk to coal volumes in in the third quarter, or if that is uh, in a way uh, already incorporated in your latest guidance. Uh, and all, on the cost front there, um, but related to the water treatment, so we saw an increase of 100 million uh, <clears throat> per year uh, uh, expected between 2021 and, and 2030. Uh, what drove that, and, and um, what should we expect going forward? Uh, and then finally, uh, I guess on, on on the other end of uh, of the coal business on Neptune, um, you know, to, to what extent is Neptune helping you offset the higher uh, coal transport cost? Uh, because we also um, read uh, in in the release that you expect to see a little bit uh, reduced uh, throughput through Neptune, and, and that is uh, contributing to to the higher uh, cost transportation guidance. Okay, um, I think we'll go the first two parts of the question to Robin Sharameta, and I believe the last part for Rail Foley, or, or uh, uh, yeah, I guess Rail Foley, thanks. Uh, thanks, Carlos. Just on the on the first question around production, uh, pretty much the same answer I, I walked through that, you know, really we've got to get through this fire situation and and see how we come out the other side but we've tried to reflect that in the guidance of 25 to 26 so we did reduce the guidance by about half a million so that's pretty much the issue on uh on water treatment uh the main reason for the increase in water capex over that over the period of 22 to 24 is really just a change in project timelines so we're advancing some water treatment strategies as a result of consultation and and some that that can actually enhance our mine planning options. So just for an example, Elfview phase three of the SRF that we've got there, we've advanced that from 25 to 23. So we've pulled that in earlier and that supports potentially lower cost spoiling options um, over that time period. So it's it's really just a shift in the timeline on, on, uh, on those developments. All right, then, uh, Carlos, your question on Neptune. So the, the increase in the transportation cost is uh, really due uh, mainly to the forest fires in uh, BC. So as a result of this, the, the train service to Vancouver was completely halted for uh, over two weeks, and it's, it's starting to come back to normal now. So what we did during that period is we diverted trains and vessels to Ridley terminals in order to continue delivering our coal to market. The fact that we have capacity through the three West Coast ports actually allowed us to do that and to capture the, uh, the high pricing that we see in the market now with FOB above 200 and CFR China above 300. And overall, when we look at Neptune, uh, yes, uh, the site is ramping up. It is doing well. Uh, we're expecting that uh, by the end of Q3, we'll be running 
at above 18.5 million tons of capacity and as such delivering the, the cost savings that we're expecting to see going forward for the long term. All right, thank you. That's very clear. I appreciate the caller. Thank you. The next question is from Abby Agarwal from Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Uh, morning, morning all. Thanks a lot for the call. Uh, I have a I have a couple of questions, please. The first one's uh, on Neptune. Uh, as uh, as Rial just mentioned, the transportation costs for the second half have been impacted by the ongoing wildfires. But uh, post that, you know, once once the situation has normalized, is it fair to assume that transportation costs step down uh, over the course of next year to the lower end uh, lower end of the thirty five to forty dollar Canadian per ton range? Go ahead, Riel. Yeah. Uh, so if if you look at the, the previous guidance that we had, uh, was that thirty six to thirty nine for this year? We're expecting uh, to, to be at least in, in that range for next year and possibly lower as the, the volume going through Neptune will be much higher than what we will have seen this year. To put this in perspective, we're expecting volume through Neptune this year to still be somewhere around the 13 to 14 million tons range. Next year uh, should be above 18 and a half billion tons. So we will see the benefits of the the fact that Neptune is is a cost of uh, throughput as opposed to uh, a, a commercial rate that we're paying at other ports. Got it. Thanks a lot, Riel. Uh, the the next one is also uh, also on the on the steel making coal division. Yeah, so can you give us a bit more color uh, on the growth capex and the stripping capex increase at the at the at, for the division? And regarding the race 21 capex uplift, is it possible for you to quantify the quantum of uh, improvement in productivity and the reduction on costs going forward? Thank you. Uh, Robin, over to you. Just want to. I, I think you were talking about capitalized stripping on the on the first part of the question just that's simply a again it's just a timing of mine sequence activities so on occasion we we mine in higher strip ratio areas and it sets us up for future production so that's that's really just the change in capitalized stripping and then I apologize what was the the second part of your question was around quantifying race 21 uh uh benefits yes I mean, it's uh, it's a little it's a little difficult to give you a quantification in any kind of specifics because it's across a broad, very broad range of initiatives. So uh, I can tell you that everything that we have invested from the capital side is leading to actually quite short-term and, and strong uh, economic benefit. And maybe maybe the one way to illustrate it is, you know, we've maintained our cost guidance despite a number of different inflationary pressures with fuel and, and things like that, and some of the reduction in, in production, and yet we're still seeing strong, strong cost performance. And I think, you know, when you roll all that up, that's in a large part uh, a reflection on the Race 21 initiatives that are in play right now. So we are we are seeing good good response on those, but I, I can't break that down into any kind of detail for you. What I would add. Got it. Thank you very much. What I would add on that one is, uh, you know, at the beginning of Race 21, we were reporting the 
incremental EBITDA gains uh, quarter to quarter, uh, but it became difficult to do that uh, during, first of all, with the COVID effects and, you know, having to take some pretty dramatic action in the initial stages of the pandemic and then the volatility of the prices. And so uh, we're really focused on all the different projects themselves and we will report on the incremental benefits at year end at the commodity prices at that time so that you can get a good feel for for uh, the value that that it's brought to the table but uh, suffice it to say that um, you know people people have been pretty excited by the progress we've made thank you thanks a lot for the color thank you the next question is from ryan MacArthur from raymond james please go ahead your line is now open uh, good morning sir can I just go back to the capitalized stripping on the coal that's up 105 million this year? Is that you're just being proactive because you have to ramp back production because of these sales and you're trying to get ahead of the game and that'll benefit us next two years? Or or is there anything structurally really changed? Because I thought we'd sort of got the stripping down to a, a lower level. If you could just... Um, elaborate on that and second don i don't know if you can make any comments on project satellite sure robin you go ahead and i'll come back on satellite yeah you bet there's there's nothing structural that's changed we're still operating right around that 10 to 1 strip ratio and really the situation we're a little lower on production we've got strong raw coal inventories and so this allows us to do stripping in areas that don't release as much coal at the front end but but are going to set us up very strongly over the next couple of years. So it's it's really just shifting some of the stripping around. So oh, can we expect, I mean, that'll be one of the things that just sort of off help, offset by assume cap or cost inflation going forward. Is that sort of how you're looking at it right now? As far Pretty as much. I mean, anytime, sorry? Sorry, go ahead. Well, just anytime you can you can get ahead on stripping to some extent and set yourself up with that kind of flexibility on the mine planning side is it just puts you in a much stronger position in the future. So we have that capability and, and it's allowed us to, to make that kind of move. Thank you. Okay. And then back on satellite, which um, we're really internally starting to think of it more as a copper growth division. Satellite of course has the five projects in it. On top of that, we have, uh, QB3 and and U, and uh, so in the last um, uh, major investor conference, we did publish uh, uh, some details and and IRRs and NAVs and so on on um, the key projects. So you can look in the appendix of our our IR presentation to to get those. We divided into near term, medium term, and longer term options. The two near term ones, of course, are Zafranel and St. Nicholas, and uh, on Zafranel's case, uh, as we said before, we needed to wait to see how things um, landed in Peru. We now know that uh, Castillo is president, and uh, we still need to wait to see as his cabinet gets uh, appointed and confirmed. So we don't think we'll be in a position to to move forward uh, in in whichever direction, probably until the fall sometimes as, as uh, we see we see how things go in Peru. Uh, we own 80% of that project. Um, uh, one thing's for sure is that uh, if we partner in some way that we'll be doing it in such a way that we retain an interest in that copper exposure, whether it's by taking back shares or, or selling less than 80% or that sort of thing. But uh, uh, that project's, that that process is all ready to go, but it's also clear that you can't start it yet until uh, 
Peru um, uh, gets a little further along in their transition. And then uh, St. Nicholas, obviously, uh, you'll see the numbers is a very high quality project. Uh, we've had a lot of interest. It's very exciting, and uh, uh, we're sorting that, uh, sorting through that, uh, that now, dealing with the different parties and their proposals. So um, you'll see more of that uh, in the second half of the year. And then QB3 as well. We're making uh, good progress there, and I would hope that we would be reporting to the market, um, you know, that we'll have narrowed the. Uh, the options for for that uh, project and give some more detail on it uh, between now and the end of the year as well. So you could see, you know, uh, incremental decisions on all three of those uh, between now and, and the end of the year. And I think, uh, Fraser, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that's the last question. We're past the hour. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yeah, Don, you can uh, give some closing remarks if you'd like. Okay. Uh, I do want to draw people's attention that we will be holding our annual investor and analyst day. Uh, it will be a virtual session on September 21st, so please mark the date in your calendar, and, and uh, we look forward to you joining us. We will send out save-the-date notices shortly, and a press release with further details will be issued closer to the date. And just as a, as a final comment, I have to tell you that, that last week, Red and I visited five of our sites, and we were at the port below the before the week before, and we took a number of people with us. And I, I can only say I wish all of you could have been with us uh, to see the exciting projects that are going on. We have so much talent, so many really bright, hardworking people who are so passionate about what they're doing. It was just uh, just inspiring to be there and see all the progress we're making. So um, we hope to share that with you on a better day. And uh, we look forward to uh, uh, speaking with you on September 21st. Thanks very much, everybody, for joining today. Bye now. Thank you. The conference is now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time, and we thank you for your participation. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.